Welcome back to the chosen journey. Don't adjust your sets. This is not the chosen life. It is the chosen journey, the baseball journey. And no, that is not Steve Carsey. Your screen is not uh, fooling you. That is the one, the only Wayne Frazier of Doug Lowry Sports, Jonathan A. Cohen, and author of the upcoming book, The Bible 3.0. Wayne, welcome to The Chosen Journey. Glad to be here. I can't imagine how many people at home are tuning this in and thinking, man, what the hell happened to Steve Carsey during Christmas? Listen, all those turkey dinners, uh, they add up. <laughs> we actually didn't eat any turkey at my house all uh, all holiday season long. We had prime rib roast and ham. My kids, I'm not a big turkey guy. I the the day that it comes out of the oven, yes, turkey. After that, not so much. I'm not a turkey sandwich or turkey casserole or turkey soup guy. One time done with it. If you could make well, instead of a turkey, just give me a chicken. I'm fine with that, right? So well, that's some uh, cooking tips for the New Year's, folks. And, you know, so much to cover, Wayne, because, you know, we were on hiatus for a little while with you and we uh, were wrapping up the season of Chosen Life and changes come about on Chosen Life and Chosen Journey, our podcast. So let's go step by step. Firstly, with the new year, Steve Carsey, uh, hired by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Say that three times twice. And he's uh, now the bullpen coach. So he's gone back after a two-year hiatus, and he's now back in the bigs. And spring training is just around the corner. So we're going to be hitting the pause button with Steve because his schedule is about to get out of whack as the Angels hired Ron Washington and a whole bunch of new coaches. And they are off to find their journey. So uh, good luck to Steve and great position. It's always cool, I think, when you're coming in and you're going to start with a whole new slate Rather than coming to an existing system and try to fit in within the system, he gets to build the system. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for Steve, and and I think, uh, I mean, it it does. I have to kind of suck a little bit to be going there after Otani leaves. You'd think, although I guess, what were you really going to teach Shohei Otani necessarily? That's not true. A guy like Steve Carsey has something to teach every every guy in the major leagues. I guarantee you that. Um, but I, you know, congratulations to him, and. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't necessarily know it's going to be a wonderful season that first year out there, uh, but I think they're headed in the right direction. I think they probably made the they've made a couple of good calls here recently. Um, I hope that they're ready to kind of do a, a full stop reset and go forward from here. When you have a 50, 60, 70 year old house that's leaking, Wayne, you can try to refurbish it and put a fresh coat of paint or you could just blow the baby up right down to the studs and rebuild. And that's what I think they're doing. And they really got a lot of smarts in that uh, dugout with Ron Washington and the coaches that they put together. And for them to talk Steve out of uh, his hiatus and come back, he must've been very, very excited. It's uh he's an interesting guy. You know, uh, it was funny during world baseball classic and sitting there and hanging out at Steve Carsey's house and hearing, you know, watching the WBC on, on the TV screen, and him explained to me the game within the game, Wayne, he could see every single hitter, every single pitcher, exactly what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, a mile away. It's ridiculous how much the guy knows about baseball. Well, and, you know, people, Steve was a, a number one, not overall, but a number one pick, I'm pretty sure, right? Um, right behind me, yes, he was. There are a lot of guys who have that sort of innate talent 
that don't ever learn the craft. They don't learn the game, right? And Steve's not one of those guys. I mean, Steve had the natural ability and he also added all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom, the ability to coach and to give it to other people. That's a pretty rare combination in somebody. And uh, the Angels are pretty lucky to have them. And yeah, they've done a really good job in in really filling out that clubhouse. I think they're just going to start piling in the young kids, right? And it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be rough for a year or two. Um, but if you can make it through that, they should be in pretty should get pretty good shape going forward after that. No, absolutely, and it's uh, it's pretty neat that the uh, you know the Angels uh, you know still were able to keep Mike Trout, and I'm glad they didn't move him. So they have a building block to go around. And with Steve, you know, I think about, for example, Noah Syndergaard. And Syndergaard, you know, hard thrower. It's very easy to be successful when you can throw 100 plus miles per hour every single pitch. Right. You get arm problems, and now you got to learn to go from a thrower to a pitcher. We saw his struggles, you know, getting ERAs around five. And with Steve, you know, he had injuries throughout his career, but he was able to evolve himself, stay relevant, and, you know, learn the craft. And that's where I, I think, you know, guys with natural ability that just comes easy to them their whole careers would be very tough to be successful coaches. Look at Wayne Gretzky in Arizona, for example. There's but, lots of guys. It, it's really hard. I mean, the, the great example is Ted Williams, right? Yeah. Ted Williams, while he did a pretty good job with the Washington Senators when he was there, it was, it was notorious that he, Roger Hornsby, same thing with the Cardinals. It was very hard for those guys to understand, why can't you just do what I do? right? It's tough to pass the knowledge on. And it's when somebody like Steve goes through the injury issues that he had in his career and everything else. And those guys, those, especially those top draft picks, the guys who are the big prospects, right? And maybe their career doesn't work out exactly the way they were expecting it to. You see 90 to 95% of those guys go away because they get bitter. They, they just can't deal with the fact, right? And so that tells you not only do people want Steve around for his knowledge? They want him around for the human being he is too. And what the lessons he's able to impart to other people. It's pretty difficult to maybe think you are going to be Nolan Ryan, right? And you have a, a good major league career, but you're not Nolan Ryan. And then you love the game enough and people want you around you enough that they're actively seeking to bring you in, right? So this is a very good life lesson now for anybody in any industry career possible whatever your field is you go to apply for a job at a, at a given place they find out where you worked before you don't think that they call the people if they know them they went to school with them or they worked with them and you burnt bridges you're probably not going to get ahead very very far steve's rolodex is insanity when he goes through with me as far as his time with all the major league clubs and coaching in the indian system coaching in the brewers you know, it's funny, uh, the GM, um, I'm trying to think right now, you know, the GM of the of the Rangers being uh, Chris Young, right? Mm -hmm. And then the GM, and, and Steve had some sort of connection there, but uh, the one I was thinking of was the Angels GM, Perry Manison. Mm -hmm. He was the video coordinator for the Rangers when Steve pitched for the Rangers. Okay. So they go way back. Ron Washington was a coach in the Oakland system when Steve came back to Oakland for the second time. Right. So now you got the manager of the team that knows him, the GM of the team that knows him, 
it's an easy fit. So you do kind of connect the dots. And even if they didn't play it together or what be it, chances are somebody played with somebody or worked with somebody and they're able to make those phone calls. Baseball is a very, very small fraternity. That's why in sports in general, you see guys that constantly get jobs again and again because people like them and people want to work with them. When you see people that uh, have a hard time getting gigs again, they probably got blacklisted more than likely. So yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, you can be the smartest guy in the room. You can be the most talented guy in the room, but at some point the talent doesn't, you're done with that part of your life, right? What you did when you had the talent, when you were making all those connections is what really matters. If you want to move forward in that business later on, right? If you want to stay in that sport or whatever it is that you're, you're thinking about doing, and if you go around acting like a jerk or you're like, you're, you're Mr. Big Shot, 20 years later, when you want to get into coaching or you want to do whatever it is, people are going to remember you and go, I don't want to be around that guy every day. He's a jerk. Why would I want to do that? Right. So that's what I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, with a guy like Steve, it's pretty obvious. He made good impressions wherever he went and people want to be around Steve. Right. That's a, a half of, I think half of life is just not pissing other people off. You know, and there's a time and place to piss people off, right? That I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying that instead of just grumping and grousing and being a, you know, uh, you know, a Debbie Downer all the time, just, you know, move past yourself, do what you can to help. And people, people look very well upon that. And they remember that later on. When people ask me a question that I think is somewhat controversial, I tell them, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want me to tell you the truth? Right. Now, the truth is, Wayne, that a guy that people want to be around, in addition to Steve Carsey, is The Rock. And if you recall, several episodes before on Chosen Life, we discussed how The Rock is more than likely coming to WrestleMania 40 in Philadelphia, which I will be at, by the way, and facing his cousin, Roman Reigns. How do I know this, you say? Well... Raw, WWE Raw, start off the new year with Raw day one. That was on a Monday as the new year started. And The Rock appeared and everybody was cheering and clapping for him. And he talked about near the end of the near the end of his segment as he was bashing Ginger Mahal, you know, former WWE champion. And they, they kept hinting that a former WWE champion was going to appear. And Ginger Mahal comes out, one of the worst rated WWE champions of all time. And he bashed the crowd. And then all of a sudden... The Rock comes out, and he's the real former champion. And after The Rock was done with Jinder, he mentioned something. He said that he was on his way to the restaurant, and he could sit at the booth, or he could sit at the bar, but he wants to sit at the head of the table, which was a bit of a clue because Roman Reigns, the longest reigning champion of our generation, is the head of the table. So, got me thinking now. First of all, <clears throat> First of all, we accurately, accurately predicted that The Rock is going to come back and more than likely he's going to be at WrestleMania. But it made me think of baseball because baseball, Wayne, you know, like many sports in their offseason, very often gets built around a top free agent. This year in MLB's free agent season for 2023-2024, I've never seen a free agency season like this one because it felt like the whole market was simply put on pause until Shohei Otani made his decision. Usually, and, and, I, and, I, and I've thought about this, you know, profusely, about how it usually happens where you have the, the winter meetings and you have the GM meetings 
and everybody tries to sign before Christmas because you don't want to be left in the bargain bin after Boxing Day. That's how most free agents work. Sitting here in the new year and early January, most free agents are still available. But Otani made his decision. And that decision is what I want to talk to you about today because you choose behind you to have my Ryu jersey, my uh, Hansen <laughs> Ryu, Hungin Ryu jersey, uh, formerly of the Blue Jays because he's a free agent and probably not going to resign there. But for me in protest, because <laughs> he signed with the Dodgers, I picked their arch rival, the Giants, and that is a vintage Sergio Romo jersey tee. So, Wayne, I I only remember one other time where Toronto got screwed like this, and it was when Aroldis Chapman was a free agent out of Cuba. And my sources told me at the time that the Jays were getting Chapman. Like, really close sources. And with Otani, it was a Friday. I recall this vividly. It was about 6, 6.30 at night. My source contacted me from a very, very close source and said, it's a done deal. Otani is coming to the Jays. I was positive. I contacted my source with the media, with the Jays, and I said, "I listen, I know you're about to go get interviewed. I'm being told it's a done deal. He is coming here a thousand percent. And it started to all make sense and how the Jays were going to build everything around Otani and Otani Mania was going to run wild and it was going to be bigger than Gretzky signing with LA. And then we wake up Saturday morning and the clock turned midnight and the carriage turned to a pumpkin and Otani went to the Dodgers. Uh, I still cannot get over this right now and the effect of it. Wayne, how did you feel and did you feel that Otani was ever coming to the Jays? I thought that there was one shot that the Jays could land Otani. And it's centered around this thinking. Not only do you have Kikuchi here, not only has he talked about wanting to play in a third country and being comfortable in Canada and that sort of thing, because he couldn't pitch this year, I thought his market value is going to be limited to the possible extent that Otani's market value could be limited, which means that instead of somebody being willing to pile up a 10-year deal or an eight-year deal at a crazy number, I thought that most contracts would come in at 550 for 10 years with an out, six or seven years, and that the Jays had a possibility to come in at a two-year deal at $150 million for the two years. And I talked with people about it here in the store. It made sense. Because you could present to Otani, look, we have a two-year window here. Um, we're willing to pay you like you're a pitcher and a hitter for two years. We know we're going to make money at that. The Rogers, Rogers would have doubled up on that easily, right? Yeah. And after the two years, then everybody's got their jerseys and everything else. If it doesn't work out, you leave and you go sign that same deal for six or eight years with the Dodgers or whoever you want. When the whole thing about him being on the plane and everything, I thought, this is this is fishy. I don't like this. You know, this is, this is the kind of, I don't want to hear that kind of crap. And Otani doesn't strike me as that kind of guy necessarily. Right. Um, Did you also hear about Kikuchi booking the sushi restaurant? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, <laughs> and that supposedly Kikuchi's wife was on the way from Japan uh, for the and, press conference and all this stuff. And, and, and they went to high school together, Kikuchi yeah. and uh, Otani. So yeah. it was logical so, fit. We're ready to build a statue for Kikuchi. So I, it, it made sense in that 
that sense that you can say, hey, look, we can outpay these guys, and we don't care if you pitch in the first year. We don't actually care if you pitch in the second year. We're going to give you $150 million for two years. And then the details of the contract come out, and it's like the Dodgers looked at the possibility of somebody paying him $75 million a year for two or three years and went, oh, you can just have it all now, forever, right? So – you know, I, I don't blame Kikuchi for, or, I mean, I don't blame Otani for taking the deal, certainly. Go where you think the money is. My understanding is that the deal was offered to several teams, and it was the Dodgers that said, we'll do it. And it, it, and maybe, I don't know whether the Jays, there was some intimation that the Jays were willing to do the deal at that, but if it's the Dodgers and the Jays, the Jays are going to have to overpay to, to probably get that deal done, right? And I thought really the only way that Otani would come here is if we see what, if he was getting a twenty or thirty percent bump for two years over what he could get. Um, now, what I will say is, um, I hope the next time the Kikuchi sees Otani, he kicks him in the jock as hard as he can, um, and I hope Otani gets beamed the first time he comes through Toronto. Um, because I look, I don't have a problem with people making as much money as they're going to make. It's a free agent market. People are going to pay. Trust me, nobody's losing money on Shohei Otani, right? And for the people here who are upset about him signing with the Dodgers, well, had he signed that $700 million, $700 million deal here, you wouldn't have said a word. You would have paid up. You would have bought the jerseys and everything. So I don't want to hear about that. But what I, I don't like is that all this supposed drama, that kind of deal where you're deferring the money, that takes at least how how long? three, four weeks to work out to make sure that everything fits together properly. So they've had that deal in place. That that deal was in place for a good month. And we have all this, just, just come out and, and be done with it. Don't leave everybody hanging on the string like that. And not, not just the blue Jays, everybody else in the league. You know what I felt afterwards, Wayne, I felt like a sucker and I'll tell you why I felt like a sucker. Cause reflecting on it, I always, I always ask myself, why did he sign with the Angels in the first place? I mean, I know they had Trout, but they were never the top contender for a World Series, you know? And then it started to make sense because at the time that he signed, the Dodgers didn't have a DH. So he right. couldn't DH. So he wants to be in California. No way he's going to San Francisco. No offense, Sergio Romo, because of the weather over there because I've heard it's very, very cold out there out in their stadium. And uh, Padres have their issues, which we know about. So it only makes sense... He went to the Angels at the time. They had the DH. Now he's a free agent. Dodgers can offer him the DH spot. He obviously loves California because he went there in the first place. Otherwise, would he have gone to the Yankees? Would he have gone to the Red Sox? So we all should have smelt this a mile away. It was the obvious. Net. It made total sense. And by the way, Yamamoto's coming too. And uh, they're still not going to win the World Series, by the way. But they are going to be a very, very fun team to watch. I I was going to point that out. I don't feel like like I'm looking at their projected lineup. Um, and sure, you've got Betts, Otani, Freeman, Will Smith, and Max Muncy as your top five hitters, right? But the bottom of that order, I don't feel that the bottom four players in that order, as it sits right now, you're looking at Outman, Taylor, Hayward, and Gavin Lux as your bottom four. Is that really any better than the Blue Jays' bottom four, Right. Um, do I think their pitching is unbelievably good? I think it's it's good. It's very good, but we all know how pitching is, right? Do I think that they're a lock, you know, they're a lock? They're a lock for a playoff spot. 
But do I think they're a lock to be the world champs next year? I don't. Um, I, do I think there's somebody out there that I would place in, in front of them? I don't know about that necessarily, I, but I, I would put them right up there. But again, you've spent all, all, all this money. I don't know. I, I, again, it's not my money. God forbid, you know, I tell them don't go spend the money. That's all the Blue Jays fans gripe about is that Rogers doesn't spend enough money. So here they are spending the money to go do it. But you, money only gets you so far. Ask the Yankees, right? Well, taking a look at the Texas Rangers, and I watched a lot of their games last year. One to nine, they were murderer's row. Like, that was the deepest lineup in baseball. At one point, they had seven starters going. Uh, their bullpen was good for most of the year. I know it imploded for a little while there, and they got it back on track. But uh, Rangers, to me, are still the favorites, and I'd rather have their lineup than the Dodgers lineup. And there's rumors they're going to get Hater, And if Hater goes to the Rangers and they got that lockdown closer, I'm ready to hand them the World Series title right now. But what concerns me, Wayne, is like this. You know, it's like going to shop for a car and you go and you want to go buy a, uh, uh, let's think a Bentley or you want to get uh, the most crazy Lamborghini, right? And you show up there and you want that one of a kind special edition and turns out that somebody else was ahead of you on the list. You don't get it. And so then you go down to the Honda dealership and you buy an Accord. Like some, there's a disconnect for me. And the one name that gets, keeps getting thrown around is Cody Bellinger. And I'm telling the Jays right now, do not pay 200 plus million for this guy. You are going to regret it. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you there. Uh, and I am uh, somewhat now afraid that they have, I don't want to say that they've backed themselves into that position, but just the circumstance of events here. And, oh my God, Ross, just shut up. Stop talking. You know, I don't disagree necessarily with a lot of the things that Ross said in the in the press conference that just happened, but he just has a way of saying it that just so aggravates Jays fans. Like, seriously, you're going to look at all of us and say, oh, it just was a blip, a blip in the offense, a blip? So you're telling me that Guerrero was overweight and played fundamentally poorly last year, and he's suddenly going to be great this year? That seems unlikely. Now, I'm not blaming all of it on Guerrero, but I am saying he's not the franchise guy that we thought he was going to be to build, build around. He's a serviceable to good first baseman with the possibility that he might hit 35 next year and 100. If he if he shapes up a little bit defensively and has that kind of year, again, then he's in the top three or four in the league. But this team is not a blip away from being a World Series champion they're not really a blip away from being a World Series contender. And so now I'm afraid that they may have backed themselves into the situation where, holy cow, you know, we didn't get Otani and that's not really all our fault, but then we don't have this, we don't have that. We got to go sign somebody big. And look, am I going to throw a fit if they spend $200 billion or $200 billion? That was Otani. $200 million on Bellinger? No, I'm not going to throw a fit. Again, spend the money and bring the guys in if you think that's the guy that can help you. But I don't think Cody Bellinger is the guy that he was, and I don't think he's worth $200 million over the course of whatever, five or six years, right? 
there were rumors that we were looking at trading Guerrero to the Mets for Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, because Alonzo apparently is not going to sign a long-term deal there. Uh, yes, sign me up for that immediately. But I do have a couple solutions for you. You ready? Yep. Make a deal with the Diamondbacks, trade Gary Varsho for uh, Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., <laughs> And signed Teoscar Hernandez as a free agent. I think that could shore up a lot of our problems. How do you like that deal? Uh, let's not be too harsh on, you know what? Everybody wants to dump all over Varsho. And and yes, he did not have a good year at the plate. Um, but it was not a horrible year at the plate. It wasn't absolutely terrible. He was probably one of the three best off uh, defensive outfielders in the league. He will be better this year. I, I figure this year I'm looking at maybe... 245 or 250 with 25 to 30 home runs and hitting down in the lineup 75 or 80 RBIs and still an amazing outfielder. That's enough, right? I'll tell you the problem is that but, we still but wait, but Wayne, when you're watching the World Series and you're watching the best young catcher in baseball with the Diamondbacks and Lourdes Guriel, it's a little bit of a knife in the heart, no? I was not a big Guriel fan. No, eh? No. No, I don't need to see the hair and all the other crap. Pay attention to the game. Um, and he, uh, look, I'm happy for him. I'm glad he played well there. I'm glad he went to the World Series and all that kind of stuff. He got paid too. Yes, and I and I'm and and I'm sorry that that trade. I was not unhappy about the trade necessarily because I really do like Varsha, but to give up Moreno when what you should have done was trade Alejandro Kirk when he had, when he had value or Jansen. Well, look again, I, I'm a big proponent of the things that you need to take care of the most are up the middle of the field. You need a very strong defensive catcher. You need a very strong shortstop. You need a very strong center fielder and you would like to have a strong sec second baseman. Okay. Danny Jansen has is a pretty good catcher. Yes. Pretty indeed. damn good. And he's hitting home runs now. Yes. He's JB. He's JP Aaron Celia, except he blocks the ball. Right. We have a good center fielder. We have lots of guys that can play center field and play it extremely well. We have a horrible shortstop. Horrible. He can hit. He's a horrible shortstop. That screws everything up. And I'm sorry. I know guys out there are like, oh my God, he's on his shed again. I am. He people keep coming in and telling me, well, he got better. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the witch in Monty Python. They turned me into a newt. Well, I got better. But he went from being absolutely terrible to just terrible. Right. If you wanted to put Bichette at third base and let him play third and he would play third, or if he just played second, I would be perfectly fine with that. We got kinder falafel for that. Yes. And Kiner Falafa should be playing shortstop full time, hundred percent. Let Bichette let Bichette DH. Let him play third base. What's the third base answer right now? Right now, I'm assuming they're going to bring Arelvis Martinez up to play third base. But I keep saying it's Kevin Biggio. I look again. I like Kevin Biggio, okay, but it's going to be pretty tough to justify. Hey, we spent all this money for a couple of years for Matt Chapman. And it didn't really work out all that well, but now we're going to replace him with this guy who's like half of Matt Chapman in terms of power. This is the issue I have. You finish off a season pretty weak, obviously, and getting bounced. 
it was pretty clear that there wasn't enough firepower and you subtracted from that firepower and basically run the group back. That's not how to do it. They got to get another batter to in there. And the big hole there is now Chapman and Belt. And guaranteed they're picking up somebody for the DH spot at least. Maybe Votto. I think if they're smart, they're going to go after Reese Hoskins. I think Hoskins would be a fantastic fit, except for the fact he probably wants a first base job and we have it locked down with our gold glover, Mr. Right. Guerrero. So I'm I'm really afraid that they're basically going to run out almost the same group, Wayne. Uh, it could be a very long season in Toronto. They'll contend. They'll be inconsistent again. And we'll get bounced out in the first round. Now, I think I think uh, Jorge Soler is a, a possibility also. Absolutely, yes, um, yes. And I think he would be a really good fit, right? Yes, yes. Um, you know, another guy who would not cost you very much money, and boy, would I love to see these two guys back to back in the lineup. Yeah. How about how about Alejandro Kirk and Daniel Vogelbach back to back? I love that. Would Vogelbach. be oh, I, I do Vogelbach. too, and I, and it would to me it would be like watching church beer league softball slow pitch, right? I mean. Uh, not for Kirk. I mean, he runs like that, right? Yeah. But I mean, Vogelbach, he's a pretty good hitter. Not great, but he'd be pretty cheap, right? He's and got maybe a one -year power filler. in that bat. Oh, mm -hmm. boy. When he launches it, I can tell you, I went to a series in Pittsburgh, and I got to watch him against the Mets, and man, that guy has power galore. Ho, ho, ho. He's a lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm all for that, but as a bench roll, pinch hitter, team clubhouse guy, I'm good with that. As your full-time DH, probably not so much. So I think we need several bats here. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, Otani has caused them a lot of issues. And I really think it's come down to the Jays and the Dodgers because I don't think any other team was really counting on him, to be frank. I don't think the Cubs ever thought they had a chance. Never heard any whispers about the Yankees. They got a lot of issues themselves. And it comes to, we're getting closer and closer to spring training. I got to say, the Rays, the Orioles, the Rangers, the Phillies, Dodgers, all looking real good right now. Yeah, and we've regressed. You need to improve. You don't do that by going backwards. So we're going to leave it at that. Now, we got one surprise as we finish off the chosen journey today because we're going to announce, uh, while Steve is going on hiatus and pressing pause because got to go and work for the Angels. We got a replacement for him that's going to come in and pinch hit for Steve Carsey. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. The one, the only Kareem Garcia. So we're getting wow. in former MLB hitter Kareem Garcia of World Baseball Classic fame with Team Mexico. He was the heart and soul of Team Mexico. Played almost 20 years. Wayne, this man played internationally in Korea. He's been all over. And man, does he have stories, and uh, he will be our new co-host on The Chosen Journey. So the journey continues in another direction. That's very exciting, and I will have to dig around in my 1993 Bowman's Best Refractors and find some Kareem Garcia cards to send down to him. And if you ever do come across a cracked Kareem Garcia bat or a jersey, give us a holler. We'll, we need it on the memorabilia uh, bench, please. <laughs> Absolutely. This is Wayne Frazier of Doug Laurie Sports. Wayne, for people that want to connect with you on memorabilia, auctions, how do they find you? Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Doug Laurie Sports, uh, www.dougloriesports.com. Twitter is Doug Laurie Sport with no S because uh, it doesn't fit in there. 
Instagram, Doug Laurie Sports, and you can find us also at Doug Laurie Auctions. And if you happen to be in the Barrie area, you can stop by the Kozlov Center on uh, Bayfield Street and pop in and say hi and take a look at our nearly 5,000 square feet of stuff. But you won't get that Ryu jersey because it's going to be in my closet. I'll go hide it in the back for you. <laughs> so this has been great, Wayne, and we're going to see you back uh, in another week because you're going to be coming doing double duty. You're going to be joining us on The Chosen Life. So we're going to go in a whole different direction. So stay tuned, folks. Jonathan A. Cohen, Wayne Frazier, we'll be back.